0: Today, we're going to dive into Philippians chapter 4. It is my favourite chapter in my favourite book in the Bible. And I can't wipe the smile off my face because I love what Paul says in Philippians. It was my nana's favourite chapter too. It's been a great journey, hasn't it? Joy for the journey is what we call it. And over the last few weeks, we have heard some great things about the book of Philippians. If you've missed one or two of them, then they're available for you online. If you go to YouTube and you type in Hume Church of Christ, all of the messages that we've been preaching are there and you can have a look through them. You can use them for your life groups or for your own personal use. Josh started with the question, what does a life changed by the gospel look like? And then Ross challenged us with the importance of unity and humility. And he used that beautiful passage of Scripture in Philippians 2.11 that starts, In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. And if you want to challenge one of the interns, ask them this morning to tell you those verses because they're learning them. Last week, David challenged us to keep our eyes on Jesus. And he said, the plan is progress, not perfection. And then he said, I was going to preach on something like joy and waiting to see what is happening next week. So here we are. So grab your Bibles or your phones. Open them to Philippians chapter 4. Get your highlighters ready because this chapter deserves a lot of colour. This chapter is rich in advice an example, and it brings together all that Paul has been teaching up to this point. So let's pray together. Father, as we open your word today, I ask that you speak to us, that you help us here at Humridge to be like the church in Philippi, ready to give, ready to care. Father, help us to be more Christ-like in our attitudes towards one another, Thank you so much for Cody this morning. We thank you for that example. And we pray that you'll be close to us as we desire to be close to you. In Jesus' name. Amen. So what does a life changed by the gospel look like? Well, it looked a lot like Paul. Paul's life was completely changed by the gospel. He went from a Pharisee who was determined to wipe out the followers of the way, the followers of Jesus, a self-righteous, pious man, and he left that behind when he chose to follow the example of Jesus. So today we're going to start at the very end of Philippians. We're going to look at verses 21 to 23 to start with, and we're going to work back through the chapter. Paul says this, "'Give my greetings to each of God's holy people, "'all who belong to Christ Jesus. "'The brothers who are with me send you their greetings.' And all the rest of God's people send you greetings too, especially those in Caesar's household. And may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, especially those in Caesar's household. When he penned those words, I wonder if he smiled. If we look at a map of first century Europe, Israel, modern-day Turkey, Greece, Italy, Look at the distance that the Gospel had to travel from Israel, down on the right, Jerusalem, all the way up to Rome in Italy. Most biblical scholars believe that Paul would have travelled by foot over 16,000 kilometres in his lifetime. The distance between Brisbane and Perth, as the crow flies, is about 4,000 kilometres. So Paul would have done that journey on foot four times in his lifetime. Can you see how far that is? That's incredible. Paul didn't need to be all the way over in Rome at this point. He wasn't arrested over there. He was arrested in Jerusalem for violating the sanctity of the temple. Now mention is also made that he was disturbing the Roman peace throughout the provinces of the empire, This is a pretty serious charge, but Paul could have given a very powerful reply to it. There was no means of knowing how it would be handled before an imperial tribunal. But in Acts 25 verse 11, Paul says to Festus, who was the procurator of of Judea, he says this, If, however, I am guilty of doing anything that deserves death, I do not refuse to die. But if the charges brought against me by these Jews are not true, no one has the right to hand me over to them. I appeal to Caesar. Now, Roman citizens had the privilege of appealing to Caesar, and so he was taken in chains all the way from Jerusalem to Rome. And to get there, he endured flogging, shipwreck. He was bitten by a poisonous snake. I think I would have given up. But he didn't. And while he was waiting in Rome for his case to be heard for two years, he was under arrest and he witnessed to absolutely everybody who he could. The gospel reached the household of the ruler of Rome because Paul was in prison. Those who belonged to Caesar's household would have included the members of the imperial family, slaves, soldiers and free men what a privilege to be given access to the household of caesar in the years after the gospel reached rome in fact for the next 250 years the way of the cross was subjected to the most fierce persecution crucifixions hangings beheadings feeding to the lions they did everything they could eradicate the message of the cross but in 312 AD Constantine the then Emperor of Rome made a decision to make Jesus his Lord and he was baptized so in 313 AD he made an edict called the Edict of Milan and it promoted the tolerance of Christianity and whatever we may think of the Roman Catholic Church before the Reformation The good news about Jesus spread throughout the entire region. So here he was under house arrest, preaching the gospel to Caesar's household. And for two years, he had time. He had time to preach the gospel and he had time to write letters. So he wrote to the Ephesians and he wrote to the Philippians and he wrote to the Colossians and he wrote to Philemon. All of these letters were written while he was in prison. Let's read what Paul penned in verses 10 through to 13 to the church in Philippi. I rejoiced greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is, to be in want, in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or living in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. So Paul thanks the Philippians for their giving, and he sets out this beautiful passage as a guideline of gratefulness And he qualified his admission in verse 11 that I have learned to be content with whatever I have and for I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. So, are you content? Are you content with your circumstances? Are you living in the expectation that God will do something in you and through you? That's a big challenge. But God is fully trustworthy. Do you pray, God, today, use me? God, I trust you with whatever happens. In the last six or eight weeks or so, a lady in our congregation named Ollie Keane, many of you will know her, has had heart surgery, major heart surgery, and so we have been praying for her as a church. Now, during this difficult and life-threatening time, Ollie met a young man in hospital A 30-year-old father of three who was facing open-heart surgery and Ollie asked for permission to pray for him and he said, OK, and so she did. This young man has has Q fever as well, so there are complications in his heart surgery. This young man also has has an auntie who is praying for him, but he doesn't have a faith. But Ollie had the opportunity to pray for him and God is touching his heart and the heart of his young wife. Now, Ollie could be angry with God that she had a leaking valve and had to have open heart surgery that could have threatened her life. But instead, she's reaching out and praying for others and allowing God to change her. And as she preaches the gospel in word and in deed, she meets people and she has asked permission for her church to be praying for this young man, So please pray for Brad and Chantel that they'll come to know Jesus and follow him and that Brad continues to heal. Now, most of you know that my dad has been in a nursing home for about four and a half years. Over that time, he has lost his mobility and his independence, control of some of his functions, He's losing speech and vision. He has a right to be bitter and angry, but don't pity him. He doesn't miss an opportunity to tell others about Jesus. My dad invited his physiotherapist and his family, who were looking for a church home, to try out humourage, dad's church, even though dad hasn't been here for nearly five years. I spoke to the chaplain at his nursing home this week because he hasn't been very well. And I was talking to her about my message this morning and she emailed me this message. One day, a staff member who happens to be from a different culture and religious heritage came to me, wanting to know how to stop Bruce talking about Jesus. <laughs> he was very fond of Bruce and not wanting to upset him, but he really wasn't interested. And so we talked about a few polite options that he might try. When Jane saw him next, she asked him, how did it go with Bruce? And he said he thought about it for a while, but all of his options seemed too disrespectful. And so he went with the option of humouring my dad and saying, "Okay, Bruce, tell me more about Jesus. Now, this man has moved on. He's no longer in my father's nursing home. But he's taken with him the knowledge of Jesus. Who knows what God will do with that in the future? So if you're not dead, you're not done, people. It doesn't matter what your circumstances. If you have Jesus as your Lord and Saviour, you have the strength of God at your disposal. You have the resident gift of the Holy Spirit. This spirit is a gift. It's not earned and it is not an optional extra. The Spirit of God is the counsellor, the creator, the helper, the gift-giver, the guide. He softens our hearts and he helps us break free from bad habits. And he harnesses the desire to help those in need. In John 7, Jesus stood and he said this, Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. This is what Tim Hannah was talking to us about a few weeks ago. The Spirit of God is a gift that bubbles up within us. So, do you know Jesus? Do you want to know Jesus? Do you want to know the peace that passes understanding, the resident gift of God's Spirit dwelling within you? Cody does. And so this morning he nailed his colours to the cross his fears, his pains his sins and his doubts, and the Holy Spirit dwells within him and will help him on his journey. The promises to those who call on the name of the Lord come to us in John 3.16, and it's such a well-known passage. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whosoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. It's a decision of the will to turn your life over to God, to let him take charge. And it happens in a prayer like this one. Dear Lord Jesus, I know that I am a sinner and I ask for your forgiveness. I believe that you died for my sins and you rose again from the dead. I turn from my sins and I invite you to come into my heart and my life. I want to trust you and follow you as my Lord and Saviour. A prayer like that is the beginning and it's an invitation to give your life over to the care of God, the God who is exactly like the person of Jesus. If you prayed that prayer this morning, tell someone. Maybe you came with a friend today, tell them. They will be so excited for you. If you are at home, you can send us a message and I'll call you and celebrate with you. Maybe Cody's baptism has prompted you this morning. We are all on this journey together. God's promises, the gift of his Holy Spirit and the gift of eternal life are yours for the taking. So let's go back to Philippians. We're working backwards this morning just to keep you on your toes. Paul gives this group of Jesus followers advice on how to live out their faith. Let's read 4 to 7. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. I love the way that Eugene Peterson expresses this in the message. It goes like this. Don't fret or worry. Instead of worry, pray. Let petitions and praises shape your worries into prayers, letting God know of your concerns. Before you know it, a sense of God's wholeness, everything coming together for good, will come and settle you down. It's wonderful what happens when Christ displaces worry at the centre of your life. Paul was a living example of this. He did it by trusting in God and by choosing to put his mind on good things. Let's read 8 and 9. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. Practice. Not once or twice, consistently practice. Most of you know I'm a pianist, and you don't get better by looking at a piece of music once. And you can't fake it when you go to your teacher and say, yes, I practiced, and then you play, and it's not terribly good. Practice. Not once or twice, but consistently practice. When I look at my dad... I thank God for his peace, and that God's peace is at my dad's disposal. God's peace is guarding his heart and his mind, and he is practicing it. When I look at Ollie, I thank God for his amazing grace in her life. His peace is at work in her life, and she is practicing it. Last week, Dave gave us this line. The plan is progress, not perfection. And if we could grab these verses of Philippians 4 and jam them into our hearts and choose to live by them, then God would change the world through us. We would be a people of unity and harmony and humility. We would be Christ-like. Put your mind on what is true and noble and right and lovely and admirable and excellent and praiseworthy. Put it into practice, all that you have learned or heard or received or seen in Paul through Philippians over these last four weeks, and the God of peace will be with you. It's a promise. Craig Groeschel has been quoted as saying, you are always moving in the direction of your strongest thoughts. So what are your strongest thoughts? Dr. Carolyn Leaf in the book Switch on Your Brain says that as we think, we change the physical nature of our brain. As we consciously direct our thinking, we wire out toxic patterns of thinking and we replace them with healthy thoughts. New thought networks grow. God has wired us to grow and change. Our brain is changing moment by moment as we are thinking. By our thinking and choosing, we are redesigning the landscape of our brain. It's called neuroplasticity. And God calls it the renewing of your mind. Romans 12.2 says, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Neuroscience is discovering real physical changes in the brain according to what we think on. Using brain imaging techniques, scientists can see the difference that good thoughts, prayer and meditation on God's word makes to your brain. Isn't God amazing? He has demonstrated how thought networks pass through DNA and science is discovering that these changes pass through the DNA of a mum and dad to the next four generations. Doesn't that sound like Deuteronomy 5? Genesis 1.27 says you are made in the image of God. Neuroscience is discovering that DNA actually changes shape in response to our thoughts. That blows my mind, but it is no surprise to God. The mathematician and astronomer Johann Kepler coined a phrase, That has become a motto and adopted by many Christian scientists, indicating that scientific research, ideas and discoveries were thinking God's thoughts after him. So you cannot control the events or circumstances of your life, but you can control your reactions. The message says in verses 8 and 9, I'd say you'll do best by filling your mind and meditating on things that are true and noble and reputable, authentic, compelling, gracious, the best, not the worst, the beautiful, not the ugly, things to praise, not things to curse. Put into practice what you have learned from me, what you have heard or saw or realised. Do that and God, who makes everything work together, will work you into his most excellent harmonies. Most excellent harmonies. Doesn't that sound like fun? The God of peace will be with you. The gift of the Holy Spirit is within you. So rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all the Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God that transcends understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. So Paul encourages us and the Philippians to put it into practice. Let's not close our Bibles and walk away and forget. Let's take this chapter and live in it. That's it. We've walked through the book of joy. I want to challenge you this week to read the whole of the book through. If you listen to it on your device, then listen to it through more than once this week. Get a picture of the joy that Paul was feeling and apply that teaching to your life. Because Jesus is the fulfilment of the promises all the way through Scripture. And we're going to stand in a minute and we're going to we're going to sing some beautiful songs and we're going to sing the priestly blessing that comes from Numbers chapter 6, 24 to 26. So let's stand. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you his peace. Amen.